0: It's a Monday up and down the West Coast. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my host, the hothead, John (laughs) Riley, from our Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Studios in San Diego. We welcome you to our Monday bonus podcast, ton of topics on the table, and it's 109 degrees outside. And John, it might get hotter before the afternoon is done in this studio. How are you coming off? What was not so much a great sports weekend.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's hot. I think there's a fire underneath AJ Preller and a lot of other sports people, so let's break it down.
0: We're going to talk a lot of baseball, we're going to talk some football, we'll talk about the opening of the college season and a couple of other stories off the world of sports. Our Monday podcast brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Stores, Build it, fix it, enjoy it, nine locations in San Diego to serve you. Topic 1, Padres can you believe what you see, John? The Swinging Friar or maybe Swingin' Miss Friar? Nice headline. Padre fans out there, Claps, quit, choke. Give me your response on fans' form at the end as to what you've seen. Padres open up, series, St. Louis, bad Cardinal team. Maybe they win a few games. Then they come home and they play real people. They play Texas. They play the Dodgers. They play Houston. Hard to believe. Nine beneath 500. 61 and 70 on the season. Could you have ever imagined, John, you and I would be talking about this number Anywhere during the season, 20 games behind the Dodgers, 20 games <laughs> out of first place, seven games behind in the wildcard race, tied with the team they traded all their prospects to, the Washington Nationals, who are also seven games behind. Padres have lost 14 of their 20. And if we don't have enough negative stuff to have to deal with, now we lose you, Darvish. Elbow inflammation. Flashback comment. What did I say, the words that I used right at the start of the Padres season when some of us were projecting I might win 100 games? Mm -hmm. And you were sales pitching me on the Fab Four, and the conversation came up about pitchers. And what were the words that came out of my mouth? Your pitching staff is never the same from one season to the next and you look at what that staff did last year they all made 30 plus starts and it was spectacular continuity along the way you darvish elbow inflammation gone for two weeks i don't know whether he's a candidate for il this stuff doesn't calm down real quick this on top of the loss of joe musgrove I think it's three or four weeks out before he's really ready to pitch, if he's ready to pitch, if there's no setbacks, and maybe it will only be in relief. I wouldn't risk anything with Joe Musgrove. You add on to that, Robert Suarez suspended, stupid move. Robert Suarez missed a chunk of the season, elbow issue. You add into that equation, the suspension, no Adrian Morion at all. This was supposed to be a breakthrough season. Ryan Weathers, gone. Luis Garcia has regressed. Michael walker has been a great one-year addition, but he, you got to monitor him because he's had shoulder issues. No Tim Hill. Krismat, hurt, gone. Kinnear, gone. Surgery, elbow. The Padres don't have a pitching staff that resembles anything that started the season and obviously is outside of Blake Snell now is not really much compared to what it was a year ago. It's just, just a disaster. Bob Melvin has lost his patience, lost his mind. I'm not going to say Bob Melvin's quit on the team, but the manager just said stop looking at the baseball standings. <laughs> 20 games out of first place behind the Dodgers. And this might be mean to say, but I'll tell you what Fab Four kind of looks like Fraud Four. Boy, you talk about miserable seasons and doing it at the most important time of the year. In the month of August, the Fab Four, four highest paid players on the team, John, your Padres, are hitting 205. In the month of August, the Fab Four is hitting 205. Dog days. In Milwaukee Series, they want to combine 11 for 50. That's just one fastball above 200, the Fab Four. And the last twenty games, this team this team has a two fifteen batting average. This has just turned into a disaster. You can't use the explanation or excuses major injuries, because they have not had anywhere equal number of injuries compared to what happened to the Dodgers early, what happened to the Yankees and Mets through the course of the season. They've earned all this. They're going to own all this. And Bob Melvin says we need to stop looking at the baseball standings. And social media has just lost its mind. Or as I say, <laughs> social unsocial media mm-hmm. has lost its mind. The marquee one, everybody watches Padre games on TV, and they're running these promos in these commercials guy on social media at the end of the loss to Milwaukee. Milwaukee had one big inning in each of those three games and killed the Friars. He writes, you want me to join the on-deck season ticket list? Good luck with that. <laughs> my goodness. And as I wrote in my one man's opinion column on my website, which you may agree or may disagree, maybe we should announce the colors of the Padres uniforms are really Bad baseball brown and fool's gold. What a freaking disaster. And I know the Padres, they've had five lost seasons. I know they've let us down. They've had really bad years. And I know that Ron Fowler lost his mind in 2019 and called out James Shields and everybody. And then in 21, we had what Peter Seidler called the epic collapse. I don't know what you're going to call 2023. But this, this to me, I think has to be the most horrific season in the history of Padre baseball, modern day, because of who we had on the roster, what we paid in the price to sign these guys, pay them, and the price we paid to get these guys in wide variety of deals. So you'll have to tell me, now that the season is effectively over 20 bleeping game, games behind the Dodgers, you'll have to tell me, what's your key word in the off season? Blow it up? or
1: be patient. John, the floor is yours. Oh, my God. I mean, this weekend was, a like you say, it was a disaster. I mean, they lose three in a row to Milwaukee. They just show no fire. And then Cronenworth gets hurt, breaks his wrist. And you're just like, one thing after another, it's the San Diego sports curse hacksaw that's getting us here. But, you know, it, it's like, yeah, Melvin's right. You know, you don't need to look at the standings. They suck right now. And this is an incredible disappointment. For the third highest payroll in baseball, they have to be at least 500. And they're like, what, seven or eight games below? Nine below now. Nine. I mean, it's just insane. Um, so, I mean, there's there's no hope the rest of the year. I mean, with Darvish, if he comes back after a 15-day D or IL He's not going to pitch. There's no point in having him pitch. And he's got a long-term contract. And ditto with Musgrove. And the same with Musgrove. Exactly. So we're going to start seeing kids. And boy, the heat is on Preller. I mean, the social media people want him out. Ten years, and I guess nine of the ten, a losing record.
0: Yeah, The, the one year they made the playoffs and excited the town was the COVID 2020 season. Last year, they didn't play all that well until they sprinted to the finish. So we're supposed to honor the general manager for 10 years of service when he gave us three playoff games against the Dodgers and that was special. That, that's the sum total of accomplishments over 10 years. It's a huge, huge credibility issue right now that is presented in this box that's going to be dropped at the front door of the owner, Peter Seidler. Um, is this the worst Padre season of all time? And I, I guess we have to exclude the 100 loss seasons because that was in the early years when that was expansion mm-hmm. baseball. Uh, but this this is miserable. This I don't understand how this could happen, how all these players could collectively crash. And, and now, obviously, the injury issues to the pitching staff. Worst season of all
1: time? I think it's right up there. I mean, two years ago, it was an epic collapse. And here we have, we didn't even rise high enough to collapse. It's just been a disaster from day one. So yeah, in terms of expectations and reality, there's a massive gap. So this has to be incredibly disappointing. But you know, I still believe in Preller. I still believe in what he's doing in the minor leagues. I still believe that these signings, Made sense when they signed them. But, you know, I mean, Manny and Xander and Jake, all three of them had wrist problems. You know, they've all been bitten by the injury bug. Last year, the starting pitching was like almost no injuries at all. Um, so there's been a curse. There's been bad luck. They're snake bitten. And I think you've got to keep this core together for next year because this is the last year you'll have Soto and you're not
0: going to be able to move any of them cuz nobody wants 10 11 or 14 year contracts. So, yeah. Soto's the only tradable part and do you really think you could get five stud young players back? That's what you paid to extract him from the Washington Nationals. It's 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 hideous. Okay, so I just want it on the record <laughs> This guy will be leaving during our break to go back out left field after stating that opinion. He is pro-preller. Yes. I think there has to be accountability somewhere along the way here as we finish out the last month of a bad baseball season. So you don't, don't like my idea. The colors should be called bad baseball brown and <laughs> fool's
1: gold. Well, the, the uniforms is probably the best part of the whole season because they sure look good <laughs> out there. But boy, um, yeah. What are you going to do? I mean, you're the, going the, out to the, left field. That's yeah. what you're going to do. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just a freaking disaster It's a train wreck. It's painful to watch them on TV, Lee. I feel like I need to take like, you know, I'm cutting my wrists or something. Um, and I, I I'd probably watch at least 150 of their games a year. I mean, it's what I do. And boy, is it just been awful.
0: So you're going to send AJ Preller a Christmas card?
1: <laughs> okay. I just
0: want him to get the team in order fix this freaking mess let's go from padre baseball to the other team here on the west coast that nobody down here likes everybody hates look at the
1: record oh my god i mean we knew that they were going to take a step back but it looks like they're taking a step forward this has been
0: an amazing number the two best teams are probably on a collision course to go to the national league championship series dodgers are sitting there at 80 and 49 And how about Atlanta, 84-46. and The Dodgers, with all these holes in their pitching staff, then all the injuries to their pitching staff, the loss of their shortstop before the season ever started, the struggles with other position players they added. The Dodgers have won 21 of their last 25. Some job by the manager, the manager, by the way, that your general manager in San Diego refused to interview Dave Roberts. <laughs> How about this? In the last weekend series, when they went to Fenway Park and they beat the brains out of the Red Sox, who have been playing pretty good ball, Mookie Betts hit 547 at Fenway Park in that series. Freddie Freeman hit 333. Miguel Rojas hit 290. Max Muncie hit 250. And over the last, this 21 and 4 stretch, the last 25 games, that Dodger team is batting 277. Your Padre team is batting 205 in its free fall. <laughs> uh, can't be any different, top it's to it's bottom It's just it? comical. That's what you've got
1: to say. But that, that's, I mean, it's, it's just reality, and, it, and it's hard to accept it.
0: The scoreboard does not lie. No,
1: it doesn't lie. Man. My
0: goodness. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. I, I love postseason baseball. I love the structure of postseason play baseball. I don't like what's happened in this wild card race to the Friars. But I'll tell you what, if those are the two that are going to be in the National Championship Series, I mean, Atlanta hits the hell out of the ball with young guys, old guys, etc. And the Dodgers, they're, I mean, they are riding on the coattails. Of their two superstars. Well, our Fab Four have obviously failed. So, National League Championship Series could be really cool if they both get there and they both get there healthy because they are both hot it's it's that could be a phenomenal
1: playoff series yeah it'd be a lot of fun to see those two because they deserve to be there but you know they're still cincinnati they're kind of interesting you got those young guys ellie de la cruz so there usually is going to be some surprise in the playoffs
0: you know and you look across the street i don't know who, who's coming out of the american league i mean seattle's red hot but you look at seattle and say seattle are them superstars baltimore's having the best season tampa is right there with them None of those guys have been in postseason play. They're going to wake up one morning and realize they're in a fall (laughs) classic. Holy cow, that's the Dodgers and the Braves. So I don't know who's going to represent the American League, but I think the NLCS will be good. Okay, let's go from that, and let's go to the other baseball team here in Southern California, because this has really been miserable, and now it's gotten worse.
1: Yeah, so Sohei Otani, the drama keeps unfolding. Showtime. Uh, Here's the burning question.
0: Who made the decisions? Or maybe we should rephrase that, John. Who made the mistakes? Now it's been revealed from within the front office that Otani has had shoulder fatigue twice. The Angels went to him, asked him to agree to go have MRI, shoulder or forearm, because he had had elbow surgery way back when he first came to Anaheim. He refused. His agents, CAA, big wheelers and dealers, Uh, Indicated no. Let him work through it. Let him dictate his training, which they have since they hired him, signed him. Let him dictate his treatment with his own people. So he's getting this outside the medical circle in the Angel Clubhouse. So now all of a sudden they have catered to his wishes, whims. He's been really successful, but now he's broken down again. And they won't – they, CAA and Otani, will not let the Angel people do the medical evaluation that they would normally do. They do it on Mike Trout. They do it on Mike Moustakas. They did it multiple times on Rendon. Different set of rules for Otani compared to the rest of the roster. I don't know that that's a real good message that you want. End of the day, he continues to DH. We'll see if if the torn elbow ligament – Impacts him at all, Swing in the bat. He's got 46 home runs still. I still think he's of value, maybe on a shorter-term contract. What I've been told from agents that I kind of network with was, okay, hey, if, if it were my call, you make him an offer, maybe two years, $50 million per season, be my DH, with an option for a third or fourth year, either my option or your option or both are options, to reopen. If he becomes acting and goes back on the mound as a pitcher. I think that's what the Angels have to do. I don't know that they want to offer him five years, $250 million at $50 million per season if he's not going to be a pitcher. But I still think as a bat, yeah, he's got great value. And maybe Otani looks at it much the same way. Okay, I'll go DH for a year or two till we sort out whether or not I need elbow surgery, etc. I still think there's tremendous value as a one-dimension player. So maybe you give him the opt-out in years three or four, or then he can come back and negotiate if he's back on the mound, becomes the megastar, multi-position superstar that he is. And my friend from left field says?
1: <laughs> I say that uh, um, if he were healthy, he would probably get a 10-year deal, like, yeah. like Xander and like all these other big-time pitchers or players but since he's injured he's going to get less and yeah maybe only 2 years at a time less in term years Correct. not salary but but do you think maybe they'll play the game and say you know what we think of him as a $75 million a year guy, but we only have $50 million to handle the cap, so we're going to pay him $150 million over two years. You know, it could be one of those things, because, you know, when Xander Bogart signs an 11-year deal, they don't expect him to be a top-performing shortstop by the end of that contract. We don't know, though. I mean, I,
0: I can't give him $75 million per season. That's crazy. You got heat stroke out in left field already? <laughs> He's only been out there five minutes. Uh, I I I think the fifty to sixty mil is is the top high water mark, and he'll get that as a slugger and as a DH, and maybe even go into the outfield or go into first base. But obviously, if they have to do brace surgery or full Tommy John for the second time, that's a one or two year period to recover from. So I don't think anybody's going to give him five years right now. I think, it, or if they did, if they offered him five years. He could opt out after, after the second season and then evaluate whether he's up 100% as a pitcher. Maybe that's the only way to do it. But I'm not paying him $175 million. Or
1: Come on, John. Yeah, well, I mean, the money is just so outrageous. But the revenue is up. We talked about how revenue is up, even though the game time is down and attendance is up. Um, I, here's my dark horse pick. I say that the Giants are going to sign him to kind of zing the Dodgers, to beat him to the punch. The Giants have got a lot of money. They could use him. That's a dark horse, because we keep hearing Angels and Mariners and Yankees and Dodgers. But I don't know. I think the Giants are the wild card.
0: Oh, you got a heat stroke. Put some sunscreen (laughs) on out there in left field. Everybody that I've canvassed is of the opinion he is going to go to the Dodgers because of their Pacific Rim history, because they are winning. That's got a lot to do with it. And they do have a history of taking care of injured players and rallying these guys back. Before we go to the other baseball story, now that we've incited everybody... (laughs) <laughs> we have need to explain to everybody with us on our live stream about how the fans forum works right at the end of the show, John, and then secondarily, how they can subscribe so they'll get access to all the kind of creative stuff that we've put out there on our YouTube channel, as well as all the other social platforms that are spinning around the globe.
1: Yeah. I mean, Hacksaw and I were just talking about this. We, all, we do all this video content, and we post it on six different platforms. It's on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Um, tiktok and threads (laughs) so just all those platforms are just blowing up for hacksaw so join us there subscribe wherever you get your podcast subscribe on youtube like share follow and subscribe on all the social media platforms and if you've got a question i'll tell you what we're talking padres we're talking dodgers oh my god the fans forum is just exploding with names here that all want to get involved there's chris and joel and carlos and Um, gosh, a bunch of other guys here. Angel is in here. So we'll get you involved. If you got a question or a comment for Hacksaw, type it in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. And a reminder, if you like sports,
0: go to my website, leehacksawhamilton.com. That address should be up there at the top. But to go to my website, because I write every day of the week. And if you're a Padre fan, you need to read my one man's opinion column that I posted this morning. Agree or disagree, I don't care. I'd like to hear what you've got to say. But check out my website because I write fresh stuff every day. One other baseball note,
1: John. This is a unique headline as it relates to where you got deported from the Bay Area. <laughs> yeah. I went to the Oakland Coliseum all the time as a kid watching the A's in the 70s. But now it's it's another soap opera. Oh, this is awful. Uh, they're they're on their way to a
0: 100-plus loss season. They're projecting that they might lose as many as 110 games, which Ooh. is pretty pretty miserable and the burning question is who's to blame for this whole mess well if you only point one finger it's at the owner john fisher and he's just outright defiant you know the a's enter play on monday night at 38 and 93 poor mark kotze it's terrible you know i went back and checked in the last two years they got rid of 11 established players uh the chapmans of the world Mm. Uh, the Olsons of the world, all these guys they got rid of, and they took on a whole bunch of young prospects, not all of them of their plan, down to a forty three million dollar payroll. This is all under the direction of John Fisher, the owner I mean shame on him and shame on baseball, and shame on the union for allowing this to happen that they 're putting a minor league product on the field in Oakland, charging major league pr- prices now now there 's big discussion. As to what's going to happen the next three years, because they've just chosen a developer in Las Vegas who will design the stadium, and then they'll turn the first shovel of dirt, but it's going to take three years. The Athletics are going to have to find a place to play in 24, 25, and 26 before they get to Vegas on opening day. John Fisher wants baseball to intercede. He wants the A's to co-rent and share Oracle Park Giants. You think Oakland's going to get approval for that? You think San Francisco is going to let them come in and take some of their advertisers and put American League Baseball into the Giants Park? I don't know about that. The mayor of Oakland, who had just taken office when John Fisher was signing all these documents in Las Vegas, says, oh, they could play here for the next three years on an interim basis. Doubt anybody's going to come see the games. And by the way, we're not going to give you any sweetheart deal financially. If you want to rent the building, you're going to rent the building. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to owe them big time. Now there's a proposal. Well, we'll just play at the AAA ballpark in Las Vegas that hosts the Pacific Coast League team. To which, <laughs> to which, stop laughing, to which the union says, time out. Yeah. Do you know how bloody hot it yeah. is in Las Vegas? Yeah. From spring through October? You're going to want you want these guys, my major leaguers, union card holders to play in that type of heat? Don't think so. There's a rumbling out there that the union has a counter proposal. Put this thing on the road. Let them play a group of series in the schedule, not in Oakland. I don't think the in San Francisco, but make them a touring team. Let them go play in Charlotte, minor league stadium there. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. Good attendance. Portland. Montreal, which has the vacant stadium. Vancouver. So if you take four to six series and the A's wind up playing, or the Oakland orphans, (laughs) play in these minor league parks, it's a thrill for the minor league cities and the fans. For sure. But the problem is then, and the union is going to have to figure how this works. The players are on the road for the whole year. How does that impact their families? Yeah. Because they won't be based in Oakland if they're, quote, traveling home games to play on the road and then play their regular road schedule. So I don't know where this is going to go, but this is really ugly. And John Fisher's acting, he's so defiant that I had to do this, we couldn't get a deal done in Oakland. Well, yeah, but you're also the one that traded 11 established stars away in two years and put a 98-loss team on the field charging major league prices in Oakland. I don't know where he's going to wind up. John, before you pass out in left field today, <laughs> what do you think the
1: A's should do? Well, I—, I well, I don't see them moving into Oracle Park. I, that's not going to happen. Um, just the San Francisco has so much pride as the city that they're not going to co-tenant with the athletics. Um, the, the, the barnstorming Harlem Globetrotter kind of thing is kind of cool. I like that. And you kind of get a test run in each of those potential expansion markets to see how the fans react and give them a taste of it. But yeah, does it work out for the players? It'll be hell on the players. Uh, but you know, they're they're traveling so much already. You know, given their situation, it might be better for the morale of the team to play in front of big crowds on the road and in some of these minor league stadiums rather than playing in that dungeon, that that cemetery of Oakland Coliseum. And nobody's going to go see him. Yeah, exactly. So I have a question: though. Is Billy Bean still with the A's? He has stepped
0: away from day to day baseball activity. He's gotten involved in a lot of other business, entrepreneurial things. I think he was linked at times to do some creative things in non-baseball with the Fenway Sports Group. Mm. Fenway Sports Group owns a soccer franchise and um, owns NASCAR teams. He's not day-to-day control at all. I mean, the whole administration has changed. Billy stepped away about a year ago. Okay, so we got a lot of baseball to talk about. We're going to juggle our schedule just a little bit here as we get to halftime. <laughs> our Monday bonus podcast is brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Centers. Fix it, build it, and enjoy it. And let me remind you, get summer and fall project savings at Dixieline Lumber and Home Centers now. Power tools, paint, doors, windows, decking, outside lighting, patio furniture, and more. You need it? They've got it. Check out the great monthly ad promotions at Dixieline.com. Dixieline, as we say, fix it, build it, and enjoy it. And our thanks again to our friends at Dixieline for being with us on our Monday bonus podcast. Let's go to football. Foot. A lot of football to talk about.
1: So this was your game over the weekend. How was the experience at, uh, at Snapdragon Stadium? I thought it was a really electric football game. A lot of big
0: plays, a lot of big defensive plays, a lot of big hits, etc. San Diego State beat Ohio University 20 to 13. It wasn't a pretty game, but it was it turned out the way I thought it would be. It turned out to be a slugfest and a defensive war. Um San Diego State unveiled their new tight end offense, didn't throw a lot to the tight ends early, wound up completing seven passes to them, most of them in a second half. Couple of them, touchdown passes to Mark Redman. That was the difference in the Aztecs' victory. Uh, Jalen Maiden started really bad. He was really inaccurate. He had trouble with pressure. They moved him off the spot. Uh, He went four for ten out of the gate, and and just he was missing everybody. And then all of a sudden, they hit a couple running plays, which kind of changed the pass rush. And then he got into rhythm. He wound up going uh, 13 for 20 the rest of the game. He he did a really good job. Uh, And obviously, he threw the touchdown passes to the tight end. The defense got better and better as they went. Uh, Three picks, had a fourth interception that was taken back 100 yards, negated by a penalty. Their defensive secondary, nobody's talked about this. I mean, they threw a blanket on the Bobcat big receivers. They had eight pass deflections on top of the three pass interceptions. Tough break for the Bobcats. Curtis Rourke, who I think is a spectacular Mm -hmm. group of five quarterback, he was 8-for-10 in the first quarter, 73 yards and two drops. Could have been 10-for-10. I thought the kid was on his way to a 400-yard game. And then he then he scrambled, got rushed, got sacked, got hit. I thought he got hit late. I thought he took a helmet, helmet hit. I don't know that he re-injured the knee. They were going to do x-rays today. They didn't put him back in the game. The backup, Anthony Harris, uh, very active but a little bit inaccurate. He threw three picks. He was under a little bit different type of pressure. Tough loss for the Bobcats. He had 380 yards. Most of that with the backup quarterback. If Rourke had been there, I don't know what he would have done to San Diego State because he was just going up and down the field. So, hey, take the win. They earned it. They got better as the game went on. Uh, Cody Moon, the transfer linebacker from New Mexico, 11 tackles. He was everywhere. There were two running backs, uh, Kenan Kirsten uh, and Jalen Armstead broke off two big runs along the way. So that's typical Aztec football. Hugely disappointed. Uh, The the announced crowd was over 23,000 tickets distributed. That was not 23,000. I was told it was more just north of 16,000. And then on top of everything else, on Sunday, the athletic director, J.D. Wicker, sent out a mass email to San Diego State alumni asking them to come support the football program, come fill up Snapdragon. It was almost as if he was begging. It's like an act of desperation. And I feel bad because I think that J.D. Wicker and Brady Hook are pretty honorable guys and are working really hard, but they're running uphill trying to convince people that this is worth seeing because the fans are just, they're not buying it. They're not buying it because they don't like the heat of day games. They're not buying it because they don't seem to like anything related to the Mountain West Conference, and they're surely not buying it because of the disappointment of the end result about, are we in a Power Five conference or not? Now you seem stuck in a group of five. But I thought that was really a reach uh, for J.D. Wicker to just beg the alumni to show up. Now, my gripe with the alumni, and this is legitimate, how could there be 150,000 alumni in San Diego County? And hardly any of them want to go see Aztec football. And how could the university, which gives tickets to the students, limits those tickets to 5,000? That's all they got to give. Really? In a stadium, it's got empty seats everywhere. Rethink that. Make it 10,000 free tickets, as long as you're not sold out. Yeah. Get those kids to come and experience. What those kids do in the end zone seats before the game for the players is really, really neat. But there's not enough of them there. So... They just—they've got so many infrastructure problems and in the decisions that they've made. I think I said it last week. I'll say it again on this Monday bonus podcast. I think San Diego State's got the ability to go nine and three. Hmm, that'd be good. And they're playing a really, really rugged schedule. Okay, so that's what I think about red and black football. What did
1: you see? Well, it started off. I thought it was big trouble. I mean, because the way Rourke was moving that ball and Maiden was shaky in that first quarter, I was like, Oh, here we go. You know, this is not getting off to a good start, but yeah, as the game progressed, I mean, really the score could have been 27 to six, you know, if they didn't call back that, that hundred yard touchdown, uh, interception, but, um, you know, it was just disappointing watching the game on TV because the stands looked about half full. I'm still of the opinion that that win is going to mean a lot. You know, let's assume they win next week against Idaho State. They're 2-0, and and then I think then it's UCLA, yes. right? So you got a little momentum there. I think as this program wins, they'll start filling it in like Viejas. But as fans there's so many things that maybe deter you from going because people still have that first game branded in their mind with 100 degree heat. And ticket prices and, and parking prices. Yeah, they said that's all still true. And people are still complaining about the prices of the tickets. Then you've got this disappointment of not getting into a Power Five conference. Um And then you're still recovering from those previous two years when they were playing up in Carson. So they, it's just this perfect storm of things working against them. But I think If they just start taking care of business, I think the stadium will fill up. But see, here's the issue, though. I don't mean to argue with you, dummy, but I'm going to argue (laughs) with you, dummy. You
0: know, they've had great success. Brady Hoke fixed this thing, left. Rocky Long built it. Brady took it over, and they've had a couple of good years and then kind of a drop-off year. I mean, when you're winning 10 games on a yearly basis and you're going to bowls every year, Mm -hmm. is that not a catalyst? And they've occasionally beaten some of the bottom uh, teams in in the Pac-12. So they've done their job in terms of putting the product on the field with the end result. Scoreboard says, Aztecs win. Community has not responded. I sat with John Quintera, who I've worked with forever as a talk show host. And we were in the press box, and I was the only one that was wearing green in the press box. (laughs) Um, But we talked back and forth. I said, John, do you remember on the old extra 690, and we broadcast the Aztecs for a chunky years. That was the Marshall Falk era. You remember 48,000 every home game when they were playing BYU in the shootouts, and they tied UCLA, and they had the 51-51 tie with Brigham Young? I mean, the place was electric. The community responded. And it hasn't responded since that point in time. Now, granted, there's no Marshall Falk, but we've had a couple of Heisman Trophy potential candidates there. Where we're in the community is much bigger now, it was not 3.5 million in 1990 when Marshall Falk was yeah. going sweep 60-yard touchdown <laughs> runs. Just don't understand why the community has not responded to what I tend to think is a fairly credible football program at this level, unless it's just everybody's in grudge mode because of the things on your checklist mm-hmm. and the fact it's not a power five conference.
1: Yeah, but see, it's still early. I mean, school just started. I think there's a lot of newbies at state that haven't settled into the dorms yet because you would expect that that stadium should be, you know, at least one third students, right? You know, filling that thing up. But there's demonstrated performance that the Aztecs fans will fill Viejas. They will support a winner where everyone's kind of on the... Edge of the, this is a winner or not, but you know what? They didn't just beat the bottom feeders of the Pac-12. They beat UCLA the last time they played them, and I think that was on the road in the Rose Bowl, yes. wasn't it? So you know, this is a legit program, a legit team. They deserve our support. I'm going to the game next week. You know, see if we get to Idaho State, it'll be my first experience at Snapdragon. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Okay, so the bottom line for everybody's going to join us on Fans Forum. If any San Diego State fans out there, please tell us in Fans Forum why you either come to the games. Or you don't give a bleep and why there are all these empty seats and where has San Diego State gone wrong? One other college football note, this is a really bad story.
1: Yeah, and this is kind of part of your lineage as a sports broadcaster, as ASU play-by-play man. Yeah, I did
0: the Sun Devils and we went to the Rose Bowl and a whole bunch of bowl games. It was really good. Uh, They're coming off a miserable season at 3-9. They're coming off the firing of Herman Edwards, the longtime NFL coach who was there and got bounced. They're coming off an NCAA investigation. They just announced on Friday, as practice was starting, the university has imposed a self-ban on a bowl game this year. Now, I don't know whether they're going to be a bowl team or not. It took all the air out of the out of the practice. Uh, I can imagine there will be some players are standing up to enter the transfer portal by virtue of what the university yeah. decided. I, th- I think it's really ill-advised. Maybe you wait to the end of the season. You know, they're trying to win Curry some favor with the NCAA. Mm. That's not going to happen. They've got so much damning evidence about Herman Edwards and five key assistant coaches that busted the NCAA rules during COVID when you were not allowed. I think it was a two-month span. You were not allowed to recruit players during COVID, and they did it anyhow. Antonio Pierce, NFL linebacker who was defensive coordinator for Herman Edwards, was the ringleader of this whole thing. Just banning yourself from a bowl game, that's not going to make a difference. The NCAA is going to nail them when they're done with the investigation. Just like I tend to think, even though everybody at Michigan, the school up north, says, well, Michigan has self-imposed a three-game suspension for Jim Harbaugh for what he did. No, he's going to get tagged when they're done with him in Ann Arbor because not only did Michigan break the COVID ban, he lied to the NCAA investigators. So somewhere down the road, we're going to be doing this podcast, and we're going to see a guy in big trouble in Ann Arbor. I, and I just don't understand this. I feel bad for Ken Dillingham, who's the new head coach, because he's a bright guy, a pretty good reputation, building an offense. But he's got a problem on his hands now because these kids are going to line up in the transfer portal if they're going to get tagged with additional sanctions and penalties, and I think they will. I don't think this Ban bowl. Impacts the NCAA probe at all?
1: Yeah, you don't need to take a self-inflicted wound here. You don't need to fall on the sword. So, they should have played the season and be bowl eligible. They got seniors on that team. This is their final year. So that's yeah, really got to just kill the morale of that team. But it seems like that this is a lot more serious than Harbaugh buying a hamburger for a guy, right? Oh yeah, because the rule was the rule for everybody. Mm-hmm. All hundred
0: thirty teams in Division One and everybody in Division Two and Division Three. During COVID, there will be no recruiting contacts. You will send out this mass NCAA email with the dates on it that you can't make contacts with athletes in a big square. And yet, Michigan's people took it upon themselves to make calls yeah. and to text. And you can't do that. And Arizona State actually brought kids in. You know, <laughs> I was told it's five major Division One violations. That's pretty significant stuff at arizona state Harbaugh's thing's complicated because he lied that's that's the reports
1: how many other coaches are looking over their shoulder that also did some funny business during that covid window of two months that haven't been caught
0: yet that's a good question but i just don't think you screw with ncaa rules and michigan and arizona state will be the first two that will pay any penalty okay from football let's go to basketball
1: yeah, the Bronnie story is unfolding. We're learning a lot more what happened. Well, the family has finally detailed
0: that, uh, that Bronnie James, who is a freshman recruit at USC, has a congenital heart issue. It's got something to do in the electrical system. Uh, I don't know whether or not he's a candidate or whether or not they've even inst- inserted a pacemaker or whether it can be treated uh, with medication. That remains to be seen. I guess the bigger question, because it's been silence ever since he got out of the hospital, with the exception of this two-sentence statement last weekend, the big question is, as a family, does LeBron let the kid play at USC?
1: Hmm.
0: Now, if the doctors say it can be controlled with a pacemaker, and the whole world, people have had heart problems forever, and modern-day medicine has allowed them to live normal lives— Does he play with a pacemaker or do they just treat it with some form of medication? If it is an electrical, irregular heartbeat, that can be treated with meds. So I don't know. What would you do if you were LeBron James? Would you let Bronny go to USC and go through all the rigors of what college basketball is or do you let him sit a year?
1: Well, I think they're probably going to be really cautious with the health of their kid. Again, I don't know much about pacemakers, but I remember when I was a kid and I visit family out of state and one of our next door neighbors out there had a pacemaker installed. And when he took his shirt off during the summertime, it looked like he had a pack of cigarettes underneath his skin. I mean, it was a big thing. I mean, Hmm. have any other NBA or college players played with a pacemaker? Not that I'm aware of, but that doesn't mean it hasn't happened
0: because sometimes they don't, because of privacy laws, they would not make that information Hmm. public, but- you know, the the thing that came to my mind immediately was what happened to DeMar Hamlin in Buffalo. Now, he does not have a pacemaker, the Buffalo Bills cornerback who collapsed on the field, but he's been treated with meds and he's back and he'll be with the Bills opening day and a starter in their secondary. So modern medicine is, is fabulous. I, yeah. I think you can you can redirect problems by use of technology. And I think that's what they're going to do. But tough call for LeBron as to whether. This young man should play year one at USC or sit a year, continue to work out, and just see how his body reacts.
1: Yeah, I guess we're going to find out here real soon. So, I know, if if I'm the James family, I ask him to sit just so we can get more data and learn more. He still has four years of eligibility. He'll be fine.
0: On we go. Let's go from basketball. Let's talk about what happened this weekend in pro golf. This was kind of cool. And this is the front end of the second part of the story. What's going
1: to happen next? Well, Lee, I was so involved watching the Padre disaster and the Aztec game, I didn't even get a chance to look at the golf. So I want to learn more. He's from Norway. His name is
0: Victor Hovland. This guy has now won back-to-back tournaments. In the last two weeks, he won BMW in Illinois, and he won the PGA Championship, which is a Grand Slam event down at East Lake, Atlanta. He has made 21 million dollars in two weeks. He is a young guy who's come out of nowhere. He was not even highly ranked as a young golfer in what would be high school in Norway, and he has arrived. And they've discovered him. And his career has taken off. So here we are in Atlanta at the PGA Championship. This guy storms to the front on Saturday and blows away the field. At one point, he had a seven-stroke lead. They never really caught up to him. And on the final day, with pressure, when Xander Shuffley was making a run and got within three, he just started nailing shots. He was seven under in the final nine holes. Wow, I can't identify with that. I've seen you hit golf balls (laughs) under my car. You can't identify with that at all. But think about that. He finished at 27 under par in the PGA Championships Grand Slam Elite Event. Now, the scoring's a little screwy. They give the top money winners bonus strokes to start. But he still wound up for the tournament. Bonus strokes? Yeah, he was 27 under. That's, that's what the scorecard read. He shot 19 under for the four rounds. Okay. And he had eight bonus strokes that are added on and became minus 27. Wow. It's kind of a screwball system <laughs> they use to gimmick and gadget. But, like I said, he was seven under on the final nine holes with guys chasing him. Now the burning question, because that shoots off now to what's going to happen next. On Tuesday, the final group of players will be named to the Ryder Cup golf team which will go play the Europeans. And Zach Johnson, the coach, has got some problems. He's got some decisions to make. Now, Vic, of course, will play for the European side. The burning question is, what does he do with the guys that have not qualified by points to be on the Ryder Cup? These are what they call captain selections. Does he take Brooks Kepka, who jumped and went to LIV mm. and hasn't played real great recently? Kepka is eligible. Does he take him? Does he take Jordan Spieth, who's kind of rebuilt his career, has gotten a lot more competitive this year after kind of falling apart? Does he take Ricky Fowler, who's had some spurts, and he's been out out on the back 40 for like four years in a row. All of a sudden, Ricky Fowler's playing a little bit better. Yeah, he has been. Does he take Colin Murakawa, who's just on the periphery of being consistently good virtually every tournament? Does he take this hot young guy, Cam Young, that just kind of showed up and has been playing good well. It's going to be interesting because uh, I think Zach Johnson has got, I think he's got five picks left. First of all, would you take Kepka?
1: Yeah, well, they, they apparently they settled the dispute, right? You know, or at least they're working through it. This seems like it's outside the scope of that. You know, so I think you take the best players. I mean, this is America against Europe. You got to be at the top of your game. Okay.
0: what do you think about the Norwegian dominance? Hey, Seven under on the final nine holes
1: he, on a Sunday? I, d- I still want to learn more about these bonus strokes. It sounds like super delegates at a political <laughs> convention, but uh, that's crazy. Um, so, so good on him for performing. You know, I'm always rooting for our local guy, Xander Shoffley. Um, But I want to go back to Ryder Cup. Do people really get fired up for Ryder Cup? I mean, Hardcore golfers will, but what are the ratings like for that?
0: I think they're pretty good. Of course well, they were pretty good when it was Tiger and Phil. Oh, yeah. And they were pretty good prior to that when it was Seb Biosteros or Greg Norman. Uh but I think the Ryder Cup is now a real made for TV event, and people pay a lot of attention to it, you know, because it is it's match play. Hmm. And we've had some Ryder Cups where Team USA did really well in some Ryder Cups in which they got ambushed. And then Ryder Cups where somebody blew a big lead and suddenly it was down to a half stroke uh, to win the final matches on Sunday to win it. So uh, it'll be intriguing to see who Zach Johnson picks uh, for the Ryder Cup team because obviously there is no Tiger, there is no Phil. Uh, John Rahm had the great, great start, but he has really cooled off since midseason. So I'll be interested to see where they where they go with the stars.
1: Okay, from that, let's talk about what happened on the racetrack because this <laughs> was something. You, Axel, you're so awesome covering every sport in the book. So yeah, IndyCar, NASCAR, F1, it's unbelievable. Okay, let's start with Formula One. Max
0: Verstappen, right there on the left, wins his ninth win in a row. He's got twelve checkered flags this season for Team Red Bull in Formula One. Driving rainstorm, ton of accidents. This guy fights his way through and wins the Dutch Grand Prix, ties a Formula One record for the most consecutive wins ever in a season. And they still got more races to go. And and we've talked in the past that Team Red Bull has figured out everything in terms of aerodynamics, horsepower, tires, pit stops. They've won every race this season. Everybody operates with the same amount of money in research and development. These guys have. Nobody else has. So Max Verstappen wins. The guy on the right, his name is Alex Polo. This guy won the Indy 500. This guy, really good driver. This guy evidently made a deal to exit his contract in IndyCar for Chip Ganassi to go to Formula One to run for McLaren. Hey, he spent the entire offseason testing with McLaren. At the last minute, he went back to Ganassi for the final year. When Ganassi said, "I'm not letting you out of my contract. You've got to run for me this year," and Alex has run very well. But Alex had committed to a contract that included upfront signing bonus money to kick in in 2025. Uh Now he says he's not coming, and McLaren has filed a 30 million dollar (laughs) lawsuit against Palou and Ganassi Racing for breach of contract, and they've said we spent millions, like in $10 million, research, development, testing, cost, the bonus we gave him, yeah, and he signed to come, and now he's backed out. That story just broke over the weekend. This is pretty nasty stuff, uh, and Pelou has kind of gone radio silent right now, doesn't want to talk very much about it. And the third storyline in auto racing, I want you to Google YouTube, Daytona 400 crash. Mm. His name is Ryan Priest. Driving Saturday night in the Daytona race, got sideways, got clipped by a car, spun into the infield at probably 180, barrel rolled twelve times. Twelve times. I've seen some horrific crashes. The one that killed Dale Earnhardt, um, Ryan Newman got airborne into a fence. It was just I thought I thought he was dead. I thought Ryan Priest was going to die in this accident. The whole car disintegrated, and he kept rolling and rolling because he was in the dirt and in the mud, and it was nothing to stop the car. It wasn't like he hit the wall or hit the fence, which would slow him down. Mm-hmm. This thing was catapulting down the track. He climbed out of the car now he was wobbly, well yeah, and they, they he walked to the ambulance, they put him on a gurney, took him to the hospital observed him for six hours, and then released him late Saturday night. Ah, huh, good. The integrity of the roll cage, Yeah, most amazing thing. So just, just Google it. You'll see it, and you'll say, how the hell did he walk away from that crash? So, I mean, NASCAR, the speed is unbelievable. They still struggle with the aerodynamics. What happens if the air gets under the car, the car launches? That's what happened to him, and it was nothing to stop him. He just went and went and went. Uh, but he walked away from it. So, what a phenomenal thing! But check it out—you you won't believe uh, how violent the top spin on this car is, and how there's nothing to slow this car down. It keeps going and going and going. And he walked away—just absolutely amazing.
1: What was his name again? Ryan Priest. All right. So Daytona 400, Ryan Priest. I'm going to look that one up. I mean, because you know the technology in these cars is a lot better as far as safety goes. And yeah, he doesn't have a wall to run into, so he has a chance to survive. So good on the the team for having that kind of car that can survive that. But I want to go back to Alex Palou. I, I'm well, on one level, it's like James Harden trying to get out of a contract. You know, these guys don't respect the contract. But I do like the idea of this crossover between IndyCar and F1 because they seem like they could be similar. And, you know, F1 is the big time stage worldwide. Um, we're, we're all Americans. We follow Indy. But I'd like to see more of, you know, more americans in f1 and more f1 in america well there's only one american team it's
0: team haas and have had no success at all Mm -hmm. Uh, most of the guys who have succeeded crossing the street have come from f1 to come here whether that's the brief snippet of fernando alonso or some of the others there have been very few americans have gone from here over there it's it's just such it's a different sport the demands are really different the testing is is phenomenally hard it's all road courses, which is kind of different from being an Indy 500 driver. It's just a really tough thing. I mean, the the Mario Andretti's of yesteryear, there's not very many of those guys that could excel at at both the sports, and there's hardly any Americans at all that are even on the developmental teams. So for Alex Pillow, I don't understand why he'd want to leave Ganassi, because Ganassi is marquee as it relates to equipment and testing and research and development, in Indycar why why he want to do that but then again it is F1 and those guys are rock stars and
1: those guys make phenomenal amounts of money oh yeah that's got to be what it is. I mean, he wants to go on the big stage, you know, because he's proven a winner in IndyCar. I mean, how many times has he won those races? I mean, he was a heavy favorite on the Indy 500. I remember we talked about it, yeah, him. He won it a year ago and finished very close to winning it this year until yeah. he got caught up in traffic and a bad pit
0: stop, et cetera, right at the end. $30 million, That's what That's what Team McLaren is suing, Ganassi, and Polo. Okay, it's time for Fans form. We're going to ask you to go to our chat box, send us questions. We'll try to run through as many as we can. And if we don't get you this time, we obviously do this on Mondays with a bonus podcast. We do it on Thursday with a regularly scheduled podcast. John, these are your friends who are...
1: Chatting with us from left field, go ahead. Oh, my God. I mean, the list here is insane. So we'll just start at the top here with Chris. And he says, Lee, I'm a native San Diego, and I don't understand how people in San Diego can support the chokers. You, know, you talk about the Padres. Chokers move to—oh, the Chargers. Chokers move to L.A., and people aren't loyal to the soil and are like little puppy dogs following a band owner.
0: Yeah, you kind of went off topic there on me. I don't—you're talking about the Charger fans or you're talking about the Padre fans? Yeah, but, I, that's what I thought it was. Okay, let, let, let's give you just two dimensions. I think Charger fans are still here. I don't know whether they watch Charger games because they're fans or they hate watch because they want to see them lose. Uh, The TV ratings in San Diego are about 50% of what they were when it was the San Diego Chargers. In terms of the Padres, I'll tell you what, 51 sellouts so far. I mean, it's been phenomenal response by the community, but phenomenal disappointment when you think now that these guys are 20 games out of first place. 20 games behind the Dodgers. So I, I think the burning question, are they going to be able to resell these season tickets to these fans next year? Remember, they bumped their prices up for a third straight year. So they got a lot of work to get done to fix what is wrong in that clubhouse, fix that roster, and then try to resell everybody. This is a great baseball community. It is a job. I've told John about this before. I've always felt this was a melting pot of people from everywhere. And they'd come here to see their Red Sox or those Cubs or the Dodgers or the hated Giants and Barry Bonds. They'd come to see them, their team, in addition to all the San Diego fans who would show up here. So I think it's a really good baseball town. But this, somebody is going to have to tell me on our fans' forum, is this the most disappointing season in the history of Padre baseball? For what they have, what we thought they were going to be, what we were promised, and what we turned out to see.
1: Well, Maybe some of those season ticket holders for the Padres are going to switch over and go to Snapdragon and start filling up the stadium for the Aztecs because they want to support a winner. But this is, yeah, it's a brutal year for Padre fans. 51 sellouts, you're shelling out all that money and they lose like four to one, a real disappointment. But yeah, Charger fans, there's still a lot of them in San Diego that, you know, despite all the, the shame that they get from other former Charger fans there's still a following here. The local news media, like on television, they still follow Chargers content. Lee, of course, you do as well. So yeah, there still is a fan base here. It is interesting, though, because I
0: I remember, and I was working at CW6 doing sports anchor work at that The night they left. And we were out and we did live shots from in front of the Charger facility in Mission Valley, the practice facility. That's where all the fans were bringing their boxes of gear and dumping it in, in the front door and then setting it on fire. I remember that. that was pretty gruesome <laughs> stuff to see. And I've hardly seen any, any charger gear since they left. I think I kept count. At one point, I counted seven people that I crossed paths with. That were wearing anything charger related. That's over the last five to six years, and three of them were homeless people downtown <laughs> near Petco Park. So I mean, they may watch. I don't know if they hate watch or they they watch because they like Justin Herbert.
1: Okay, let's move on. Moving on. Okay, here's a comment from Joel. He says Melvin has to go. He hasn't been able to get all these weapons to work like a well-oiled machine. It's disappointing.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of a lot of conversation about the fact that the players do not respond. The players don't seem to listen. Now, now the mandate may be from upstairs that Bob Melvin is not allowed to manage a certain way and he's not allowed to do what he wants as it relates to guys that are underachieving. I think that's a piece of the equation. And, Joel, I'll throw this at you. If you allow that general manager to fire that guy in the dugout, are you going to trust that general manager to hire the right guy? Considering we had Melvin and we had Tingler and we had Andy Green and we had that interim guy, Pat Walsh, and then he fired um, Buddy Black and he refused to interview Dave Roberts, who's got 750 wins at Dodger Stadium. Are you going to trust that general manager to hire the next manager based on what we've just seen with the last group I just ran through? You tell me.
1: Well, we all figure when he signed Melvin that he finally got it right. There there weren't any rookies, first timers like Tingler and Green and, and and you know Bud Black. They had to turn the page on him. I got that firing, but this Melvin situation is weird because apparently had the respect of the players. We thought he was going to you know steady hand that whole thing, and then now if people are saying he can't control the superstars. Don't look at the standings. It's like he's almost like removing himself from the picture um I, but i don't know who do you replace him with that's going to change things i mean who the big question is going to trust the general manager to rate the, make the right choice yeah well i, I don't just think, think we'll, he'll get a chance to do that
0: so you think the general manager's in trouble you just said you're going to send him a christmas card well, he'll still be the general manager
1: i support aj but i think if aj fires the coach man, the manager melvin then that is just total admission of ultimate failure after failure after failure. And I think at that point, yeah, the ownership may have to make a move. But I don't know if, if I'm in charge, I keep this group together. This is supposed to be a good team. John says this is a one-year aberration. We'll see what we have to say as we go through the month of September. We move on on Fans Forum. Moving on. So this is so from a Dodger fan. Carlos says, it's so hilarious to watch this dumpster fire. <laughs> as the Dodger fan living in San Diego, it is great. All off-season listening to these Padre fans saying the World Series was theirs. Oh, I just feel free to pile on those, the Friars.
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, the Dodgers have had, I, I think, a, a, a masterful season. When you consider the holes on their roster, in what we all thought was a reset season, get below the luxury tax so they can make the drive in the free agency to get Otani. And then to see this thing come together and to see the trades they made at the deadline, Lance Lynn is 3-0 as a starter for the Dodgers. This guy was (laughs) on his way out of baseball when the White Sox (laughs) said, take what's left of the contract. He's, he's done really well. And, and the young kids have had spurts that they've played okay. And the stars, the stars at Dodger Stadium have been so different than the Fab Four fraud four at Petco Park. So, and Dave Roberts has done a really good job when the players respond. And uh, the culture just seems to be different to me a little bit, John.
1: Yeah, it's 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 a totally different ball game up at Chavez Ravine. I mean, they do a really good job managing the organization. I mean, it's like I said, I'm a... I'm a Giants and Padres guy, but I got to give respect as much as it pains me to say that the Dodgers are a well-run organization and they are not inflicted with the San Diego sports curse. On we go. We got more questions here. Fans Forum is cooking. Okay, this is from the SG Sports Channel. He says San Jose State got viciously beaten by the USC Trojans by a score of 56 to 28 from the L.A. Memorial Coliseum. And it was absolutely devastating.
0: Well, I don't know if that's a Spartan fan or a Trojan fan talking about the beat town. And yeah, it was a lopsided game, and it should be a lopsided game. But that being said, stat sheet, scoreboard, San Jose had 396 yards in offense against the Trojans. Really? I have a huge issue with Link Riley and his defensive coordinator, who he brought back, Alex Grinch. Who did a horrible job last year? That's why they didn't go unbeaten. That's why they didn't go deep. That's why there was no raising of the trophy in the college football playoffs, because of their defense. And he brought the guy back. And the guy, if you go back and look at Alex Grinch's defensive statistics, last group of years that he's been with Lincoln Riley, the numbers are poor. And he let San Jose State go up and down the field 396 yards in total offense for the Spartans. So. I got reservations about the defense. Caleb Williams is great. The talent, the skill level talent phenomenal. When you start playing big boy football, you got to play defense. And I don't see that at USC, so Mike, this turned
1: out to be disappointing. Yeah, that was the rap on him in Oklahoma, that Lincoln Riley never really had a really good defense. So they ended up winning like, you know, 44 to 36 or something. So uh, but, you know, San Jose State, I mean, they're making progress, Yes, you know, not just in football, but in in uh, in basketball. So I like seeing that, you know, and they got a nice facility there. I saw a YouTube video that was ranking all the Mountain West stadiums. And, yeah, the the Spartans play in a pretty decent stadium up there. I mean, it's not as good as Snapdragon, not as good as UNLV, Allegiant. You know, they play where the Raiders play. But, uh, yeah, you know, good on San Jose. I mean, that's surprising. I mean, they have the score. I would expect the blowout to be a lot worse. Yeah, it was just
0: turnovers at the end. They got a really good quarterback transfer from Hawaii, Chevron Codero. Mm -hmm. Guy makes things happen. Multi-dimension, running and throw type guy. Okay, we carry
1: on with the conversation. Carrying on. This is from Moreno, and he says, The Aztecs have never been able to recruit locally or nationally ranked players and play in the Mountain West. Hard sell.
0: It really is. Everybody in the Mountain West, much like in the Mid-American Conference, they recruit kids who've got talent that you're going to coach them up. And that's what happens at San Diego State. You know, the Aztecs, a lot of people don't know this. They had 36 players in NFL training camps this year. Nice. So they, they put a, a chunk, they get a chance to go play. Some pan out, some don't work ever. But it's the end result of really good coaching to make these kids better players. But it's it's a hard sell. And the NIL the first year, Aztecs got a group of players in transfers. And a bunch of them played. This year, not so much. Why? Because the prices on NIL guys just went through the roof. And all these big-time teams are paying all this money to all these big-time players and taking guys away that used to wind up here. So it's it's a huge, huge challenge. If San Diego State was ever to get into whatever the rebuilt Pac-2 turns out to be, <laughs> Uh, or pack 4 depending on what, what happens with Stanford and uh, Cal in the next week or so. I, I would think Brady Hill could be the guy to take him in because he knows big-time football. He's got all types of contacts. Mm-hmm. And when your credit card says, Aztecs, pack 10 you'll open more doors and a chance to give a sales pitch to the kid – To come play here i think he'd be the right guy to lead them because he's got all that experience having having been not just at michigan but he was a recruiter at oregon and he was at tennessee i mean he's been a bunch of different places in big time programs but that's awful far-fetched john to think that this is going to work out well for san diego state in terms of stepping to the other street corner and becoming a power five
1: well think about how long they were terrible you know, it's like through the 90s and the early 2000s, then they get Hoke and they get a Rocky Long. They build the program up and it was like really a great program. We we always thought they had a shot at getting into one of those, you know, final bowl games in the BCS as a group of five team. But uh, now with the NIL, it seems like maybe the talent level is dipping down again. So maybe they have to adopt that Steve Fisher, Brian Dutcher thing and find these players with a chip on their shoulder. Well,
0: they coach them up. I think that's, that's the best thing you can say, and they've done it fairly successfully. But it's tough. When half the stadium, half the brand new shiny stadium is
1: empty, that's not good move on move on another aztec comment from t mac he says last year heard attendance because brady hoke was tone deaf to the fans heck linsky and burmeister experiment went on too long yeah and and you know brady's old school
0: you know brady brady does not want to throw it 51 times per game and that's kind of hard to swallow here because we're on the west coast where everybody high school to college throws the hell out of the ball but they've you know, they had a good record and they run it and they really develop good running backs and they, they play tough as cement defense and that's their calling card. Now, m- maybe it'll be different with Ryan Lindley as offensive coordinator. Uh, they've got three young pup quarterbacks behind Jalen Maiden and that will be the future. I don't think they're ever going to go back into the transfer portal after the Burmeister disaster at Virginia Tech. Uh, I think they're going to develop their own quarterbacks. Hopefully, they'll be able to expand this thing and throw this damn thing down the field and not the most amazing thing you go back to san diego state college football college when it was coriel division two and i understand the recruiting rules are all different they threw the crap out of the ball. And they had all these quarterbacks who wound up in NFL camps, starting with Dennis Shaw through Brian Sype and a whole bunch of others. And they went down the field all the time. And it was High Flying Circus Act. And then it, it kind of changed. The the Bill era was, was successful for the short window, but they, they had a young quarterback and David Lowry who chucked it down the field and they had NFL receivers. Uh, who were part of that whole thing, and then obviously they had the greatness of Falk, and right after that Tom Kraft came in, and they had Billy Blanton, and Billy set all kinds of records yeah. before O'Connell and Lindley showed up. So there has been a progression of guys that can go down the field and make it happen, but it hasn't been very consistent, and they've just they've never gotten the fans back from the Falk era. You know, I just I close my eyes. I broadcast. It was the first game ESPN ever put on Thursday night. San Diego State BYU. Ty Detmer, David Lowry, Marshall Falk. Oh, nice. Fifty-one fifty-one tie. What a <laughs> calling card for the whole nation to see yeah. about what the whack that, as it was known, was was going to could be. But then Luganville left. Falk left early for the NFL. Went to the Colts, then to the Rams, and then to the Hall of Fame. And the programs, it just it, as good a guy as Ted Tolner was and offensive guys, they never kept it at the level. They did get a couple more good quarterbacks later in the run, but there was never any consistency, and they kind of lost the community. Community never came back. And I'll tell you what, that two and a half years with Falk, John, they were averaging 48,000 a game. Hmm. I mean, it was absolutely phenomenal. And that BYU game was just legendary at 51-51.
1: Yeah, that was a great year. I went to a number of those games. And uh, Marshall should have won the Heisman Trophy <laughs> yes. that year. We're still all so upset about that. But hey, what do you think about Braxton Burmeister playing wide receiver for the LA Rams?
0: Well, we'll see if his name's on the waiver wire in the next 24 hours. He didn't play much in preseason games. I tend to think maybe he winds up as an athlete on the developmental squad but i think it's a long shot uh i I was kind of disappointed last year when he got here because i had watched video of him and talked to people back in virginia about him at va and he was a really competitive quarterback but you know he got firestormed here he just they could not pass protect and he kept getting sacked and he got hurt multiple times and then finally you know he went down and he never got up and that's when they went to Maiden, and Maiden did a lot of—I I was very impressed with Maiden kind of coming from the secondary and as safety to make himself a pretty competitive guy with half a playbook and hardly enough snaps to get ready. So Maiden's got skill. Burmeister is just a terrible disappointment. Wrong, wrong kid, wrong system, wrong time, I guess.
1: Yeah, that was a tough one. We had a lot of hope when yeah, when, when, when Burmeister came over, but— yeah, you know, I you know I think Maiden is going to do a, a solid job getting this team through. The running backs look really good, you know. So and then Redmond was terrific. Yep. But uh, next year, Maiden maybe will be gone. They got a lot of those young quarterbacks. That's going to be interesting to see how they develop.
0: Well, all those young quarterbacks will have a year plus two spring footballs working under Ryan Lindley's playbook. Oh, great! That's important. By the way, there, there was a, a message on your phone from area code eight hundred one. Mm-hmm salt lake city utah wants you to send back those
1: three pages of tight end play calls so then put it back in their playbook let's okay. get wing a couple more in here yeah let's get some social media comments in here i mean it's just so much going on in terms of comments and questions and and uh yeah here's a reggie bush comment and this is uh from fat sal um on the youtube channel he says you go reggie it's the good old boy systems trying to hold you back get them bush show them that they're bush league Oh, my goodness. You don't want to get me started on this. <laughs> here's here's
0: my questions. and And Reggie Bush waited all these years. And now this is a problem. He wants his Heisman back. And he wants his stats back. And he wants his uniform to be retired at USC. And Reggie said, he's intimating to you, did nothing wrong. Well, the family sure did a lot of things wrong. And if Reggie was innocent, Why didn't Reggie testify in front of the NCAA's investigators? He never did. That's a big issue to me. He stonewalled them. And obviously the family was caught. But I've seen documents. Reggie's signature is on the credit card of the two marketing guys, one of whom became his agent, while he was at USC. So he's signing his name. That, to me, inflicts guilt as it relates to whatever benefits he got. And did did the NCAA slander him in 2021 by saying, well, he was not eligible, therefore he should never have been given the Heisman? Well, we didn't know what he was doing at the point I made my Heisman vote, and I voted for him based on everything he did at USC. But at the end of the day, if you were innocent, why didn't you testify in front of the NCAA? You could have denounced him at the hearing. If they screwed you, they screwed you then. But... You refused to participate and tell, quote, your side of the story. And by the way, there's documentation of stuff that you signed.
1: Well... There's been so much talk on social media um, about this, and a lot of people bringing up um, Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel, and saying this is a double standard. Johnny Manziel was taking money for signing autographs. He got to keep his Heisman Trophy, and some people are suggesting that it might be a racism thing, you know, where they protect the white guy and penalize the black guy.
0: Now, I think the rules have changed. The rules got bent. It's a different world You know, Ohio State's head coach, Jim Trussell, who's a friend of mine, lost his job because he had players that are selling autographs for tattoos for Hmm. cash, and Ohio State got put on probation, and Trussell got fired because it happened on your watch. Well, he didn't know what these guys were doing uh, in their off times. It's just, it's it's complex, there's so many rules, but, you know... I will close my eyes and I will say Reggie Bush, one of the greatest running backs of all time. Reggie Bush, maybe the greatest high school running back in San Diego. And that says a lot because guys like Marcus Allen and Terrell Davis and so many others came from here. Yeah, Rashad Salam. But I close my eyes. I also say Reggie Bush, USC scandal, probation, loss of 30 scholarships, refused to testify in front of the NCAA. If you were innocent, tell them to their face. I
1: got a problem with that. That's, But if you're a football fan, wasn't that a great era for oh. USC? And Matt Leinert. Leiner? Yeah. Coach Carroll on the sidelines. So it was a good It was a good time, but yeah, it's weird how it all worked out. Hey,
0: listen, I didn't mean to yell at the TV on Sunday, but I saw this on TV. You know, DraftKings, all, all the betting books are now running flurries of ads. <laughs> yeah. And here's Matt Leinert. Standing in front of DraftKings logo, talking about the opening of the college football season and yeah. throwing the football. He says, College football's great. It's all about history and loyalties and rivalries. Yeah. Matt, your team left the Big Ten led or left <laughs> the Pac-12 for the Big Ten <laughs> <laughs> leading to the death. Please don't use the word loyalty and rivalry.
1: Yeah. <laughs> we got another Pac-Twelve comment here, because there's been so much conversation about conference realignment. This is from Mark. And he says you can try and build such a conference, but you have to realize Stanford and Cal will be gone to the Big Ten at the first opportunity, leaving you with Oregon State and Washington State, which is essentially Mountain West 2.0. And the autonomous status you crave will not be extended to a conference that is 50% G5 refugees. The goal of realignment is fewer and more power schools and autonomous conferences. If you're not already in a power conference, you never will be. To just Just Give it up and realize the powers that be already have decided that you will be a G5 school forever. Okay, so you're anti-Aztec. I buy that.
0: That's okay. (laughs) These schools have to to look and feel comfortable with where they are and if they can operate from a business standpoint where they are. Um, I would tend to think if Oregon State, Washington State decided, okay, let's drop down and let's be the big boy in the Mountain West – Because now a Mountain West school might be eligible for the college playoffs. But they psychologically have to adjust that that kind of looks like a demotion. And financially, how do they answer the question going from a 20 million TV deal in the Pac 12, which is gone, down to 4 million in the Mountain West? It's a huge struggle. If the Beavers and the Cougars came here with Boise State and Fresno and San Diego State and Air Force, I mean, it would really be a really good football conference. But unfortunately, it would be a group of five. And I don't see if if they did this, I don't see the Mountain West being able to jump over the double yellow line and become a, a power five with whatever they'd call it. So I don't. Oregon State, Washington State, sure like to see it, but it would—I don't think it'd be good for them. But so tough call coming up for the the presidents of those schools. Well, Oregon State's athletic program is of a higher level than Washington State, right? There's money issues. Washington State's had more financial issues than Oregon State, and Oregon State is not wealthy by any stretch.
1: But their baseball program is fantastic. Exactly, You know, they've won national championships there and they've had a lot of success in football. And even recently in the NCAA tournament, I think they kind of went deep a, mm-hmm. a few years ago.
0: We'll see where it goes.
1: Let's take one more here before we put the lid on this. Put the lid on it. All right. So let's uh, let's go here. This is a good one. we got to talk about Tommy Pham. And this is from JD's Third, and he says, Petco Karen needs to be banned for life from the stadium. She set Pham off, though, on a 14-game hit streak. Thanks, Karen. The Arizona manager heard the slurs. Honest and good fans should stand up against this. It's not the majority of fans.
0: Yeah, Padres should not sweep this under the rug, man. And maybe they are investigating it. But, you know, if fam knows who that woman was, and if, if uh, Tori Lovello saw it, fans sitting around her, that should not be allowed to happen. Whether you're a victor for the rest of the season or you revoke her season ticket, the racial junk should not be occurring. I don't care about fam's persona and his intensity and all that, the racial exchange should not happen
1: yeah I mean that 's obvious. It should not happen there but there are some people saying that the, that the fan wasn 't uh, you know slurring racially, and I, who knows what exactly what was said except the people that were there but i don't know it just seems like Tommy Pham is a lightning rod, you know, and he just gets picked on everywhere because he 's such a prickly guy, you know, and he 's gotten in all these situations and problems. I still have mixed feelings about him on one level, I like him, and I root for him. I love his believe in yourself attitude. But on the other hand, when we, didn't he get in a fight with someone um, over, like, their fantasy football team? <laughs> Was it Jock Peterson?
0: Uh, he wears you out yeah. with his style and, quote, his persona. Hey, listen, we hope you've enjoyed our Monday bonus podcast. Did we cover enough topics on the table for you? If you like sports, we want you to share with all your friends what we're doing. We may have to dedicate one one of these podcasts to strictly fans forum content sounds good we won't talk about topics on the table we'll take a break for one day give everybody a chance to be part of fans forum because i mean unless we're gonna do three hours here and i don't think we want to do three hours here we got we must have had a hundred people line up On fans forum. But share, tell all your people what we do, remind them about my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. And our Monday bonus podcast brought to you by Dixie Line Lumber and Home Center Stores. Fix it, build it, you will enjoy it. Nine locations to serve you. John, have yourself a great sports week. We'll see you come Thursday. We're going to do a college football preview on Thursday. The next week we're going to do our NFL preview division by division as we go towards the start of the NFL season.
1: Yeah, those are going to be two great episodes if
0: i see your ball under my car i'll kick it out and you could practice uh, putting again and don't have a heat stroke out there with 109 <laughs> degrees out in john's parking lot this afternoon as we started hey thanks for being with us we'll talk to you come thursday on hacksaw's headlines join us again for hacksaw's headlines on youtube facebook and twitter and find the audio version on your favorite podcast app uh- For more content, go to leehacksawhamilton.com.